0: It's, uh, and it's good to be here. I, I love the opportunity to open God's Word. I, I love God's Word. I love the chance that I get to uh, tell you what it means, to explain it to you. And uh, I'm glad that you're here. This is a, a great opportunity. Uh, this morning, I want to urge you to see with your eyes and hear with your ears and set your hearts on the coming King. The King has come. And that's what we're celebrating at Christmas together. So, thinking about Christmas and, and uh, growing up and kids and those kind of things, as, as we grow up, there are uh, some things that, uh, that we stop doing. So, not even really thinking about Christmas, but as, as we grow up, there are some things that we stop doing. An uh, easy example right off the top of my head is, uh, is we stop crawling. And you start walking. You see what I mean? When, when you get older, there are some things that you stop doing. You uh, another thing that you stop doing as you grow older is you stop running for fun. You know what I mean? So my daughter Clara is three, and she can be a little on the clumsy side sometimes, and she can uh, trip on an uneven sidewalk or slip on some gravel, and so uh, she's not always sure when it's uh, when it's okay to to run. I'm going to scoot this forward. Uh, it's heavy. Uh you like that? Alan don't like that. Uh, she's not always sure when it's okay to run. And so uh, Clara, uh, she'll, she'll ask the question. She'll say, can I run? Like, she'll ask that question. Can, can I run? Now, as we get older, we stop asking that question. Can I run? And we start to ask the question, do I have to run? Right? There's a little shift there on. We're not really wanting to do that for fun. Um, another thing that you stop doing as you get older is you stop uh, announcing that you have to throw up. And then you, you just go ahead. Well, when you get older, you just go ahead and you and you throw up. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Your your kid or something comes into your bedroom in the middle of the night and says those horrible words. I think I'm going to throw up. And then they just throw up all over the floor. You when you get older, you stop making that announcement. When you. Get older, you stop waking up early and on purpose and enjoying it. Right? So, so my kids will wake up. My, my daughter Clara was up early this morning. Early this morning. She was up even after a late night. She was up early. Um, now when I wake up early, I, I don't want to be and I'm mad about it. Right? So there, there's this shift of when you get older, you stop doing some things. Um, man, when you get older, you stop eating fast food for every meal. Or 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 at least you don't want to eat fast food for every meal. At at Camp Zephyr, uh the youth camp that our students go to, you can have a different meal in the dining hall um every single meal. There's something different. But there's a food truck that every lunch there are hamburgers and every dinner there's pizza. So you can have pizza or you can and, and you can have hamburgers every day if that's what you want. It's like junior high boy heaven. Right? For a week, you can eat only pizza and only hamburgers um, all week long, and, and it's a great place to be. Now, when I think about that, that makes me want to be sick. Um, this last week, I was helping out with a disciple now, and the church was across, not really a street, but a parking lot. They were across a parking lot from a Whataburger. And so every meal was Whataburger, which might sound great to this section over here, everybody else, and that doesn't sound so great. It was not, it was not a great experience. Um, when you, when you grow older, you, you stop asking for permission. Like when you're a kid, you say, uh, can I go play with my friends? Can I go play with my friends? And, and, and then when you get to be a little bit older, you, you stop asking, you can just go play with your friends. You don't need to ask permission. And then you get married and you start asking permission again, right? (laughs) Your, your mother, may I turns into honey, may I go play with my friends? Uh, you stop asking for permission and, and you, stop, you stop pulling all nighters and liking it. So my son is excited about staying up until midnight, New Year's Eve. Ring in the new year. Let's stay up 1201 and then I'll go to bed. Uh, that sounds terrible to me. I just want to go to sleep at 1030 and just leave me alone and let me sleep for a while. That's really what I want. We, as we grow older, we stop doing some things. And there's one thing that we stop doing as we grow older um, that kind of relates to where I want to camp uh, this morning. One of the things we stop doing is we stop asking the question, why? We stop, we stop being curious. And you know, children, they'll, they'll say, but why? And you'll give them an answer and they'll say, but why? And they'll keep asking, but why? Until you say, because I said so. Or because that's the way that it is. You just, that you want to put an end to the, but why? And we stop asking that question, why? Because we've learned that. That's just the way that it is. It's because somebody said so. So we stop being curious. Well, this morning I want us to be curious. Why Christmas lights? Why Christmas trees? Why stockings? Why Christmas songs? Why jingle bells? Why Santa Claus? Why reindeer? And if you've paid attention, you've caught on to the catchphrase, well, Jesus is the reason for the season. Like you've caught that and and that's right. Jesus is the reason for the season. But can we be a little bit curious this morning and let's ask the question, but why? Why is Jesus the reason for the season? Why did Jesus come? Why does it matter? And this morning, I want to encourage you to be blessed by this truth. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And you can turn in your Bibles to Luke 19. Luke 19 is where we're going to camp. Now, if you were expecting a Christmas message, you may have expected me to send you to a different passage. You were expecting the Christmas story, but I want to explain to you this morning that Luke chapter 19 is the Christmas story. We're going to look at this together. Luke 19, beginning in verse 1, says this, Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not. Because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And just take a moment to pray with me this morning. Lord, we pray for your help. We want to understand your word. We want to understand why it matters to us. And I pray that you would help us. Be with us. Speak truth to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been in church, you know the story, Zacchaeus. You know it. You know the song. Some of you are singing it right now. I think I heard somebody humming it. Uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus. you all know it, for I'm coming to your house today. I'm coming to your house today. Very good. Well done. Well, you know the song and, and whatever, uh, whatever things you've been able to glean from that, whatever truths or principles you have pulled from that story, as we look at this together, really what we can understand is the whole point, the whole reason Luke included this interaction in his story of Jesus is for the last sentence there in the paragraph. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And this morning we're going to unfold that statement together. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's begin with the first statement, the son of man came. It was the son of man that came. What what does that mean? We know that Jesus is the son of God. We've heard that and we know that that means he's divine. It means that Jesus is God. But here Jesus doesn't call himself the son of God. He calls himself the son of man. What is the son of man? The son of man is a title that is packed with meaning. The Son of Man is the expected Savior King. The most popular title for Jesus in the New Testament is actually Christ. Jesus Christ. Christ is not a last name. He is not Mr. Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ. Christ means Messiah. It means anointed one, the one God has chosen. Jesus Christ. But Jesus almost never uses this title of himself. You might be able to find one maybe two instances where Jesus kind of calls himself Jesus Christ. Here, the most popular title that Jesus uses of himself in the Gospels is this title, Son of Man. Now, where did Son of Man come from? Where did this title come from? The the title Son of Man is is Old Testament, particularly Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, now, in Daniel chapter 7, um, you, you know the book of Daniel. You, you know uh, Daniel and the lion's den, and you know uh, Daniel's three friends and the fiery furnace. You know these things. Um, what we don't really remember about the book of Daniel is all of the apocalyptic prophecy. That's most of the book is this this uh, prophecy that's hard for us to understand, and so we, uh, we we kind of forget it. But in Daniel chapter 7, there's this incredible vision that he has, and this vision is kind of has three movements to it. The first movement of this vision in Daniel chapter 7, uh, Daniel sees four beasts coming out of the sea. One by one, they start coming out of the sea, and, and the way that he describes them are, are things that, that people know what they look like. So the first beast is a lion, but it's got eagle's wings, and the second one is a bear. Uh, the third one is a leopard with four wings, and then finally, he's not sure how to describe the fourth one. He just says it's more terrible than the other three, um, but... And I'm not sure what it looks like. Let's just call it a beast. It's horrible. It's horrifying. It's a beast. And all of these beasts represent different nations that have risen and fallen in Greece and Persia and Babylon and Rome. These nations have risen and fallen. and, And there are these beasts that are horrible and terrifying. Then the scene changes. And now you've got the beast, but there's a throne room. And somebody enters. It's the ancient of days. The one who was of old. God himself shows up. And the Ancient of Days takes his seat on the throne. And when he does that, these four beasts start to have some problems. The, the fourth beast, the most powerful beast, is defeated. And the other three lose all of their power and their dominion is shattered. The Ancient of Days is seated on the throne. That surely tells us that God is always on his throne, ruling and reigning. Nations may rise and nations may fall, but God is on his throne. The Ancient of Days is seated. And then the third movement. Daniel chapter 7, I have that verse for you on the screen. Daniel chapter 7 says this. This is the third movement of the vision. I saw in the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed one like a son of man. This one like a son of man is given glory and honor and dominion. He is given a kingdom, an everlasting kingdom, a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. You see, the Son of man is the title given to the expected Savior King, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. And readers of the Old Testament were expecting, they were waiting on one like a son of man to come with God's authority to rule and to reign, that all peoples and all nations and all languages would bow before him and serve him. They were waiting for one like a son of man to come with this everlasting dominion, to come with a kingdom that would not be destroyed. And then Jesus shows up on the scene, and the most popular title that he uses for himself is son of man. He says, I am the son of man. I am the one to whom the ancient of days granted dominion and glory and a kingdom. It's me, the son of man. The son of man came. That's the second thing we want to look at. The, the Son of Man came. All the expectations of the people who knew the Old Testament was that the, the Son of Man was going to come. And They had been waiting hundreds of years and he had not come. They were waiting on the Savior King. And, and we are told in Luke 19 that the Savior King had come. But he didn't come in a way that they expected. Years ago, there was a uh, Pepsi commercial. I think it was Pepsi. Uh, and it was centered around an NBA player in costume. It was called Uncle Drew. Do you remember this? Uh, there were like more commercials and YouTube videos, and I think it became a movie for some reason. I'm not sure. Um, it was called Uncle Drew. The the premise is this. Kyrie Irving is one of the best uh, NBA basketball players uh, around. He's top. Um, I think college, he played for Kentucky, right, Alan? Uh-huh. Okay, Kentucky could have used him this week. Uh anyways, uh anyway, Kyrie Irving, the, the premise is this he dresses up like an old man and he goes and he plays a pickup game. Okay, so he's he looks like he is an old man and he shows up at this pickup basketball game. Um and eventually he gets in the game. And everybody thinks he's an old man. He starts shooting air balls. There's a pass that's thrown that he has to bend over to get, and he just kinda doesn't and it goes out of bounds. I feel that. It's all right. It's just a pickup game. He lets it go. And everybody's kind of rolling their eyes. This old guy, he needs to get off the court, let somebody else play. And, and everybody's kind of frustrated. And then he gets a steal. This uncle drew, right? This old guy gets a steal and he, and he goes and he shoots a layup and everybody kind of politely applauds. Oh, the old man did something. This is great. Um, but then he gets the ball and he crosses somebody over and hits a three pointer and everybody's kind of look at him like, wait a minute. That doesn't look right. And then a little bit later, he gets a steal and he throws it off the backboard, jumps in the air, catches it and dunks it. And everybody's thinking, now that's not right. There's something wrong with this situation. What they didn't know is that this old man really wasn't an old man at all. He was an NBA star in costume. He came in a way that they didn't Expect, and then he clowned on all of them for the rest of the game. Uh, He came in a way that they they were not expecting, and they were surprised at who it was. The Son of Man was going to come. The promised, glorious, Savior King was going to come, but he didn't come in a way that they expected. How did he come? Luke chapter 2 to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. The son of man came, but he came in a way that was not expected. You might think glory and praise. You might think a palace. But what are we told in Luke chapter 2? She gave birth to him. And nobody wanted them in the inn, and so he was born in a cave in a feeding trough. Where's the glory in that? That's that's not the way that's not the way they were expecting. The mountains would have bowed down, seas would have roared, trees would have clapped their hands, but the earth held its breath as silent as snow falling, He came. And when no one was looking in the darkness, He came. The God who flung the planets into space and kept them whirling around and around. The God who made the universe with just a word. The one who could do anything at all made himself small. He made himself a baby. And it was almost a secret. It was almost a secret. Almost nobody knew. It was almost as if there was no glory. Oh, but there was glory. Luke chapter 2 verse 8 tells us, In that same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It was almost a secret. But then there was a choir. An angelic choir. A magnificent choir who announced the birth of the son of God. The son of man. See, the Son of Man came. He was expected. The world had been waiting on Him, and the angels announced in heavenly chorus that, in fact, He was here. And it was God's good purpose to bring peace and goodwill to humanity. The Son of Man came. And then Luke 19 gives us another word. To. The Son of Man came to. For what purpose did he come? Why did the Son of Man come? To do what? To seek and to save the lost. In Luke 19, who is lost? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is lost. Who was Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a tax collector, the text tells us. He was a tax collector. A tax collector was not very liked. They were somebody who not only collected taxes, their job was to uh, work for the Roman government who was oppressing the people, and their job was to collect taxes to fund the Roman army, to fund the Roman occupation. And then in order for the tax collector to be paid, they had to collect a little bit more for their salary. And the text tells us that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, and it tells us that he was rich. If he was rich, that means he was withholding a lot from the people. He was taking a lot from them. And so he was hated and disliked. He was a thief. He was greedy. Zacchaeus was lost, and I believe the text shows us that Zacchaeus was lost in two ways. The first way that I believe Zacchaeus was lost is Zacchaeus was lost because he was searching. Zacchaeus was lost because he was searching. He was he was rich, so that must mean he had it all put together, right? We we know better than that. See, Zacchaeus was restless in his lifestyle because wealth is unsatisfying. Wealth is unsatisfying because wealth doesn't last, and Zacchaeus was looking for something else, something else that could bring true satisfaction. He was desolate and alone, and he needed something. He needed someone. And maybe, just maybe, there aren't a lot of tax collectors, so maybe Zacchaeus knew Matthew. Matthew was also a tax collector until Jesus showed up. And now Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples who used to be a tax collector. Maybe Zacchaeus knew him. And if Jesus had a tax collector in his group, maybe Jesus loved tax collectors too. Zacchaeus had looked everywhere else. And maybe the answer was found in Jesus, so he went to look. How many of us are like that this morning? How many of us are searching? Now I know, I know we're all searching. Everything that we are looking for and every place that we look for significance, every place that we look for satisfaction or for peace or for joy, every place that we're looking, we are searching. We're looking. And none of those things are necessarily bad things. Significance and joy and peace, those are not bad things. We, we, we have been wired that way. We as humans need those things and, and we go on a search for them. And, and the problem is that we are searching for these things in all the wrong places. And when we search for things in the wrong places, we end up traveling down roads that we never intended to travel down. Like, for example, when we search for significance in a person... What happens is that person lets us down and we don't find our significance in uh, another person. They were never designed to do that, but we don't find the significance there. So what do we do? We go and try to find our significance in someone else. And over time, what we find is that person will never help us find significance because that's not their job either. And we just try somebody else and try somebody else. And we go from person to person and we never find what we're looking for. We go on this search. And we do this in many other ways. And that's why we turn to um, addiction. That's why we have uh, workaholism. And that's why we turn to and invest ourselves in video games. And that's why we are stuck in all sorts of substance abuses, because we're looking to find something and we can't find it. Maybe I just need more. And when more doesn't do it, maybe I just need something else. Maybe I just need someone else. Maybe, maybe, maybe all we're doing is searching and what we can find is exactly what King Solomon found in the book of Ecclesiastes when he said, basically, uh, none of those things will satisfy you. It's all meaningless. It has no purpose. It's useless. But, but we just keep on searching and keep on searching. C.S. Lewis, he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, but he wrote another book called Mere Christianity. And in this book, he identifies this truth that we're talking about right here. He says that all of these longings that we have in ourselves point toward a higher reality. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. So if I have these wired in longings and nothing seems to really do the trick isn't it possible maybe probable that nothing on this world in this world is going to satisfy that maybe that is found somewhere else or in someone else and saint augustine said that this search that we go on where we keep being disappointed and we keep failing and we never acquire the thing that we're looking for this search is actually god's grace when the things of this world fall short and don't bring the satisfaction or the significance or the joy or the peace or the forgiveness that we're looking for, when when it falls short, this is called God's, God's severe mercy of dissatisfaction. God's severe mercy of dissatisfaction. See, everything in this world is pointing us towards God. It is in God that we find peace and joy and significance. And satisfaction. But we keep on searching. And we keep on trying one thing after after another. And we keep on being disappointed. Not realizing that everything that we are looking for can be found. And will be found. In the person of Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus was searching. Zacchaeus was searching. But he didn't know that in his searching he was being sought. He was lost and searching. Not only was Zacchaeus lost because he was searching, Zacchaeus was also lost because he was separated. Zacchaeus was separated from man. He was wicked and greedy and a thief and nobody liked him. That's why he had to go climb a tree to see Jesus. He was short and nobody would let him get to the front. And so nobody liked him. He was separated from his people. He was a traitor. But not only was Zacchaeus separated from his people. Zacchaeus was separated from his God. Zacchaeus was a sinner. His greed, his selfishness separated him from God. The prophet Isaiah tells us that our sin separates us from God. It's like our sin places a big gulf in between us and God. It drives a wedge in our relationship. So much so that God doesn't hear us. That's what Isaiah says. Our sin separates. And so again, in mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says, then, because of this, we have cause to be uneasy. We have cause to be uneasy. The being behind the universe is intensely interested in right conduct, like fair play, unselfishness, courage, good faith, honesty, and truthfulness. But then we think about our lives and we realize that if this being were to analyze our lives, like our everyday day-to-day, then he must hate a lot of what we do. And Lewis says, this is the terrible fix we are in. He is the thing we most need and the thing we most want to hide from. He's the place where we can, the only place where we can find significance and joy and satisfaction and peace. He's the only place we can find that. He's the thing we most need, but because of our sin, he's also the thing we most want to hide from. He is our only possible ally, and we have made ourselves his enemies. He's the one we need, but we separate ourselves from him. See, just like Zacchaeus, we are lost. We are. Searching and we are separated. We are hopeless. We have cause to be uneasy. We are lost. And so, the only solution to our searching is for someone to search us. And the only solution to our separation. Is for someone to save us. And that's what the Son of Man came to do. He came to seek and to save the lost. That's what happened to Zacchaeus. Jesus came to seek him. Zacchaeus thought he was seeking Jesus, but really what was happening is Jesus was seeking him. Zacchaeus runs ahead. He climbs up in this tree and he waits on Jesus to come. If you want to talk about things that you stop doing when you get older, climbing a tree in a robe probably ranks top of the list. You stop doing that. Zacchaeus is in this tree waiting on Jesus, and here comes Jesus, and he gets the glimpse he was looking for, but then Jesus stops at the bottom of the tree. Imagine what Zacchaeus is thinking. Heart pounding, palms sweating. Why did he stop? Keep going, keep going. Don't look up, don't look up, don't look up. And what does Jesus do? He looks up. And then what does Jesus do? He calls him by name. He says, Zacchaeus. Jesus had no business knowing his name. But all the same, he looks up in the tree and he says, Zacchaeus. A name is an intimate thing. Uh, If I don't really know you well, I might call you buddy, pal, friend, hey man, I might call you that. That's evidence that I don't know you, I don't know your name. But if I know your name, I know something about you. Jesus looks up in the tree, he doesn't say, hey man, what are you doing in the tree? He says, Zacchaeus. I I know you're in the tree. I know that you've been searching. I know that you are separated both from man and from God. I know all of that, but here I am. Come down. Zacchaeus was lost, but Jesus was seeking him. Not only was Jesus seeking the lost, Jesus came to save them. That's the reason for Christmas. That's the why behind Christmas. That's the why. Jesus is the reason for the season. This is why the purpose of the incarnation, when Creator God becomes a man, we just that just rolls off the tongue. Think about that for a second. Creator God becomes a man. That doesn't really make sense how that could be. This amazing thing that has taken place that we don't fully comprehend. The whole reason for that is so that he could save us. You know, the story of Zacchaeus falls in an interesting place in the book of Luke. This is the last interaction that Jesus has before he heads to Jerusalem for the final time. The Bible says that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. He was headed towards Jerusalem where he knew he would be tried and convicted and tortured and killed for crimes he didn't commit. He knew that it was in Jerusalem where he was going to be crucified. And it wasn't only physical pain that he was about to face. But he was also about to bear the weight of the sin of the world. He was about to absorb God's wrath for us. The horror, the anguish, and the pain, and the suffering that awaited him in Jerusalem. But right before that, right before he hit the road, he has this interaction with Zacchaeus. And he looks up in the tree, and he says, Watch what I'm about to do. It's for you. It's for people like you. Not only to seek him out, but to save him. Now this morning, as as I'm looking out at you and I'm thinking about this text and what we have just said, what I know is that everybody in the room is searching Everybody in the room, you're searching for Jesus, even if you don't know it. Some of you are looking in all the wrong places and going down roads. You wish you hadn't gone down, but now now you're there. But what you're really looking for is Jesus. But know this. In all of your searching, know this. You are being sought by Him. And I don't know if anybody in the room really feels this, but when... When Jesus is seeking you, there might be a little bit of fear. Like, what will he find in me? Maybe I need to climb a tree and hide. What will he find in me? What will he discover in me? My deeds? Or my secret motives? My words? My thoughts? My pride? My anger? My bitterness? My unforgiveness? What will he find? My heart is ugly, and I'm not so sure I want Jesus seeking me. What will he find? I want to help you this morning. It's both good news and, and maybe bad news. He's already found you. And he already knows. He knows the ugliness in your heart. He knows all of it, even maybe, maybe even more than you know it. He knows the depth of our wickedness. And even in that finding, he has loved you. Are you searching? Or how many of us this morning in this room are separated from God because of sin? How many of us have have chosen the world's way of thinking or have chosen our own selfish desires and and our sin has separated us from God? And there is a gulf between us and God. And we know God's not hearing me. God God doesn't hear me. There is a separation between us. We have good reason to feel uneasy. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. And yet, Jesus has loved us with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreakable, always and forever kind of love. And he proved it when he laid down his life on the cross. There's a great movie out. Uh, Many of you have probably seen it. The new movie about Mr. Rogers. You should go see it. It was fun. We went to go see this movie, and it was funny. Everybody was nicer on the way out. <laughs> people were picking up trash and holding the door open for people. It was funny. Uh, go see it. It's great. I won't spoil it for you. But, but in the movie, there is a, um, there's a reporter named Lloyd. Lloyd has uh, some things that he's dealing with, some things in his personal life. He is angry, and he is rude. He is selfish. And nobody likes Lloyd, like, worldwide. Nobody likes him. And he has been asked to go interview Mr. Rogers. Well, nobody likes Lloyd, including Mr. Rogers' handler named Bill. Uh, this guy Bill, his job is to make sure Mr. Rogers is good. Make sure he does his job, keep the wolves away. It's kind of Bill's job. But now Lloyd wants to interview Mr. Rogers, and Bill does not like him. The problem is Mr. Rogers keeps inviting Lloyd to come. Come be a part of this. Come meet me at my house. Can I come to your apartment? He keeps inviting him to come along and be a part. And Bill tells Lloyd, he says, the only reason you're here is because he wants you here. What he means is, otherwise, you're the kind of person I keep away from him. The only reason that you're here is because he wants you here. And Lloyd is kind of taken aback, and he says, but why me? I'm hateful. I'm selfish. I'm angry all the time. I blow up at people I've blown up at Mr. Roger, Like, I've yelled at him. Why me, he asks. And Bill says, because he loves people like you. Because he loves people like you. Isn't that Jesus? Isn't that our Savior? Oh, he loves people like you. All the ugliness in your heart All the selfishness, all the unforgiveness, all the bitterness, all the roads you have walked down. Oh, he loves people like you. That's the whole reason for Christmas. is to save people like you. To save broken people and lost people and hurting people. That's why he has come. The Savior King has come. The Son of Man has come. The Father has given Him all authority to rule and to reign. He is King of kings, and He has come to save, finally and ultimately. And so I'm asking you this morning, won't you turn to Jesus? This Christmas, why not now? Won't you stop hiding? Stop hiding behind some fake christian thing that you put up to come to church why don't why don't you stop hiding come down from the tree he wants to make his home with you do it now stop wandering turn to jesus let him forgive let him receive you give yourself truly and fully today he has come he has come and so here's how we'll respond this morning the band's going to come lead us in a song they can head this direction now. Our elders and prayer team are going to come up here. And I'm asking you to respond to the Lord Jesus. He has come. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And I want you to interact with the Lord Jesus now. That, means, that may mean that you come up and somebody will pray with you. That may mean that you need to come to the steps and pray alone. That may mean that you need to stay in your chair and pray alone. It may mean that you need to stand and sing this song at the top of your lungs. But one way or another, you need to respond to the Lord Jesus. He has come to seek and to save. Have you been been searching in all the wrong places? Turn to the Lord Jesus. Has your sin separated you? Turn to the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together.